We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, hello everyone and welcome to episode 92 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today as I'm breaking down the Gamecocks series loss to Texas A&M. Gamecocks dropped two of three games over the weekend and a breakdown what happened, postseason chances for South Carolina, and what it means for their 2019 season. Also, have a very special interview with former Gamecock safety TJ Gurley as we break down his South Carolina career as a whole. Uh, before we do that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. You guys hear me talk about those guys a lot. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far. Go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything you can think of. Obviously, all South Carolina Gamecocks, sporting events, professional events, if you're going to any NHL hockey, NBA playoffs, NHL and NBA playoffs, um, concerts, comedy club events, does not have to be sports. They've got it there for you. Again, download SeatGeek. You can use that promo code Spurs up, save yourself $10 off. In the meantime, they're the best ticket buying app by far. They actually rate the tickets based on a ticket rating system. So you know exactly what you're getting before you pay for it. They actually rate it either red or green meter. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal or maybe if you're overpaying a little bit for the seats you're getting. It's really that simple. Again, download SeatGeek, use that promo code Spurs up, and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. All right, appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm Chris Phillips, as always, your host of the Spurs Up Show. Uh, got a lot to talk about today. Gamecocks dropping two of three games to Texas A&M again. South Carolina still without that series win in the SEC, 5-13 and 13 now in the SEC, 23-17 and 17 overall. And now with just 12 SEC games or four series left, find themselves in a very, very difficult situation, obviously. Um, before we get into everything, obviously, you can hear – Pretty much back to full health. I'd say I'm about 90%. Still kind of have the normal allergies, if you will. But overall, uh, was able to take some meds this week, able to, you know, take everything and kind of get back as you can hear me now. So I'm actually manageable to listen to. I apologize again for last week, just how terrible my voice sounded. Uh, as you heard me talk about in the intros, we'll have a fantastic interview with TJ Gurley, played for the Gamecocks from 2012, 2015. We talked about a lot of cool stuff, especially those first two years, 2012 and 2013, when the Gamecocks won 11 games in back-to-back seasons. So be sure to stick around for that. Um, but let's start with baseball. Again, South Carolina dropping two of three. Um, in what was really familiar fashion, you know, South Carolina um, falling in game one 
Uh, final score of that one, 8-2. to two. The Friday game got rained out, so South kind of playing the doubleheader on Saturday at 12-4, and four, winning the first game 3-2. to two. Both games were seven innings, by the way, but winning the first game 3-2 to two and losing the rubber match 6-3. to three. And what, again, it's just at this point, this is – I'm going to sound like a broken record because it was the same exact thing, and it's sort of what you expect out of this team. And it's a shame because this team is so, so close. I mean, again, Texas A&M, number seven team in the country, very, very talented team. You saw that in the arms they threw this weekend, even with their lineup not being, uh, I guess, struggling, if you will, is what the SEC Network guys were saying. Their lineup is struggling a little bit. I still think Texas A&M, <clears throat> as much talent as anybody in the SEC across the board, they're fighting for an SEC West title right now. And South Carolina coming up just short once again. We'll start with the Friday night game. Um, very, very competitive game. You know, Gamecocks are up 2-1 to one going to the seventh inning. And it was really just a story for South Carolina where it fell apart in one inning again. Like I said, Gamecocks up 2-1 to one going to the top of the seventh. Texas A&M scoring seven runs in the top of the seventh. And really it was capped off by a grand slam for the Aggies um, in that top of the seventh. John Gilreath comes in relief of Reed Morgan, who I thought threw very, very well. Um, threw six and a third, eight hits, four runs, three earned. But again, a couple of those runs counted against him after he came, he came out of the ball game. But overall, I thought he threw really, really well. Seven strikeouts in the night, only walked one batter, only threw 82 pitches. Um, South Carolina's bullpen again, though, just not able to hang on. Obviously, games washed out on Friday and then Saturday. You know, I fully expected South Carolina to win at least one game because this team has shown that fight and shown they can pull out one game. But I did, I did expect them to lose a series. I mean, South Carolina, again, in game two, comes out. TJ Shook, I thought, threw pretty well. Four innings, three hits, two runs, two earned, two walks. Uh, and then Brett Carey obviously comes in and shuts the door, gets his fifth save of the season, and the Gamecocks um, get the win there. And then obviously in the rubber match, like I talked about, you know, South Carolina loses that game 6-3, to three, the final score. South Carolina uh, down 4-3, going to the top of the seventh, can't hold Texas A&M at bay, and they extend the lead and really, you know, really put the exclamation point on the game, I would say. Um, bring Brett Carey back off short rest, which is something I'm going to talk about in just a second. But overall – Bottom line, South Carolina losing two of three once again. South Carolina still, still without an SEC series win. I can tell you I had a lot of predictions before the season, and even if you would have told me South Carolina would have lost all the guys they've lost in their pitching staff to injury and would have had the inconsistencies in the lineup, I still don't think I would have predicted this South Carolina team would be without a series win in SEC play at this point. It's really just truly, really, truly just hard to fathom that this South Carolina team – you know, has not been able to break through, and it, it's a shame. You know, we'll start kind of just my initial thoughts. You know, you look at this team, this South Carolina team as a whole now, and what it means moving forward. You know, I, I've talked a lot. Listen, I've talked a lot about the pitching, and the pitching hasn't been good in the SEC. 5.43 ERA. Um, <clears throat> you know, a couple of guys have been solid. Um, I think one of the tales of the tape is that your ace, Reed Morgan, even, has, is one in three with a five, over five ERA. But the big thing for South Carolina, as much grief as I've given the pitching staff, this team is hitting 192 in SEC play. 192. I mean, it is hard to fathom that this team is hitting 192. One of your seniors, T.J. Hopkins, hitting 197. Jacob Olson, 180. Brady Allen, 140. Noah Campbell, 220. Chris Cullen, 222. Uh, Lou Berryhill's been your best hitter in SEC play, hitting a respectable 297. George Khalil hitting 258, a guy that I think is very, very underrated for South Carolina. Um, <clears throat> you know, but overall, I thought something that was very telling was, you know, something that Mark Kingston said after the Thursday night game. 
when he basically – I put it up on social media. He basically talked about – you know, was recapping that game and basically just said, listen, in the SEC, you know, he was asked about why they've struggled so mightily in game ones of series or Friday night games, if you want to know this game was played on a Thursday. But <clears throat> those Friday night game one type games of series. And he basically talked about, you know, in the SEC, you're facing – future first-round guys, future MLB first-rounders, you know, guys that are big-time, legitimate big-time arms. And I I think he really touched on something that I've been saying for a couple of weeks. Um, I think something that's very, very obvious at this point, but for you you guys that are maybe looking for answers, obviously, today, if you're a South Carolina fan, obviously you're not accustomed to South Carolina baseball being this bad. Um, I think – what Mark Kingston said, he really said it best in talking about basically just saying that, listen, you're facing these guys every single week. You're facing these first-round guys. And he, he came out and said, you know, Reed Morgan gave us everything he can. He threw a good game, but at the end of the day, it simply wasn't enough. And those are the guys you have to beat. And that's what I've been saying, that, listen, as bad as the lineup has been for South Carolina, the batting lineup, and it's been bad. You just heard me rattle off the stats. I mean, they're hitting under 200 in conference play. That's hard to fathom, and it's hard to win any games when you're hitting that badly. But – <clears throat> when you're when you're as overmatched on the mound as South Carolina is right now, it's very, very, very tough to win. And even I, I think the scary thing we're seeing right now is that even with Reed Morgan moving to the game one Friday night role, if you will, um, it really hasn't made that much of a difference. Now I, I've got I've had some people ask me over the past couple of days, do you keep Reed Morgan in that game one role? You know, you should you uh, you know should you move him out of that role? Obviously for you know, because nothing's changed. I don't see the benefit in that. I don't see the benefit. I mean, here's my question. If you move Reed Morgan back to the Saturday role, who are you going to put in that Friday role or that game one role? I mean, you're going to really throw Cam Tringali out there. Are you going to go back to throwing Danny Lloyd or Wesley Sweat? I mean, what's your plan of action? I think South Carolina right now doesn't have many options to work with. So, you know, I just think South Carolina is in a very, very tough spot right now. And, again, I appreciated the brutal honesty from Mark Kingston basically just coming out and saying, like, hey, this is who we are right now. Like, we're we're going up against top-of-the-line, top-notch SEC weekend arms, Friday night arms, guys that are going to be drafted, some of the guys that are going to be pitching in the big leagues. And South Carolina simply does not have the guys to match up right now. They certainly don't have the guys at the plate. I can tell you I've been – you know, moving off the pitching to hitting, I've just been disgusted with the approach. Um, the one game that South Carolina won this weekend, I mean, you could argue that as close as South Carolina maybe was to pulling off the series upset and getting the series win, I think they were closer to getting swept. I mean, you think of game two, South Carolina won that game three to two and won it with two hits. I mean, there's just not many games you're going to win in the SEC off two hits. I mean, the one hit, obviously the big one, Luke Berryhill's three-run homer and that one, Again, which was enough. I didn't think three runs at the time would be enough. <clears throat> it turned out it was enough for South Carolina. But, I mean, overall, you know, you just look at this team, and it's – I mean, what can you say? I mean, I, I said it on social media. It's like watching a movie we all know the ending to. It's really all it is at this point because – and I can't imagine the players, those guys, what's going through their heads. Because I know as a fan, I said this last week, um, you know, you get in these situations for South Carolina, especially when you get to – Sunday River match or the final game River match. It seems like every single series has gone loss, win, loss. It's been the exact same script for South Carolina. And when you get into that game three situation, I really thought that this was a chance South Carolina was going to break through. Um, They had the lead early in that game. Um, I thought they had their starter kind of rattled, but South Carolina unable to pull it off. And you're almost at this point expecting something bad to happen. And it seems like everything right now that can go wrong for South Carolina is going wrong. I want to address the 
the decision by Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead to bring in Brett Carey um, in the final game. I mean, listen, I know there were some fans <clears> – I know there were some fans that were questioning that decision for sure, were upset with that decision, don't understand that decision. Listen, I, I'll say this for South Carolina. I mean, you I, – I, I honestly like the move because Brett Carey has been by far, by far – your best arm. And if he tells you he's ready to go and you see him and, you know, I'll tell you this, I played college baseball. I played baseball in general. There's a lot of guys you'd be very, I saw some people talking about his arm health and stuff. You'd be very, very surprised. There are a lot of guys that especially same day can bounce back and throw another inning or two for you. You'd be very, not everybody can do it. Some guys are not made like that. Some guys take a little bit longer to recover. You know, I'll be honest. I was a guy in college that, you know, once I threw and got cold, there was no coming back for me. I just, I just didn't have that. There are some guys that their arm is just, you know, we say their arm is made out of rubber. They can throw as much as they want. doesn't really affect them. So as long as Brett Carey is not showing any signs of laboring, you know, I like the move. He's your best guy, and you're trying to get a shutdown inning, trying to get a, a shutout inning, if you will. And, you know, unfortunately, he hangs a slider there, and the guy puts it over left field. So, I mean – I, I don't – I've been, you know, I've questioned a lot of decisions from Skylar Mead this season, um, from Mark Kingston this season in regards to the pitching, pitching staff. I like what they did, though, that, listen, if you're going to go down, go down with your best. Uh, just go down with your best. Don't go down with your second best. Don't go down with some other guy. You know, go down with your best. And if Brett Carey can throw, um, you know, he's been money for you all season. you got to give him that opportunity. So, I, I don't personally hate that decision. But overall, again, for this South Carolina team, it just seems like – Everything that can go wrong right now is going wrong for South Carolina. I will say I thought Cam Tringali threw a good game on Sunday. Again, four and a third, six hits, four runs, four earned, but I know he was battling some sickness as well. I thought Dylan Harley threw really well, two innings pitch, only gave up a run, three strikeouts. I think, again, I've talked about this before. I think he's a guy that, you know, listen, at this point in the season, I think it's more so even about getting guys experience. I think Dylan Harley is a guy I'd love to see move back the weekend rotation, a guy that I think, you know, I'd be shocked if he is if he's excuse me if he's not in the weekend rotation for South Carolina next year just because of the stuff factor. I mean a guy that's got some of the best stuff on the staff. Um but yeah, I mean this this South Carolina baseball season now. I mean again, you look at this team uh overall 23 and 17, 5 and 13 in the conference and you know, it's again, it's something I never could have predicted. I mean there really aren't a lot of words um, you know, after after the game on Saturday, I, I just honestly put down my phone and thought to myself, you know, I really have nothing good to say. I really don't want to say anything. I don't want to tweet anything. I don't want to post anything. I have nothing good to say. So I, I just think at this point in the season for South Carolina, you know, we've, you know, I had people ask me, you know, I talked about Texas a and again, the, the team that South Carolina just played. They made the postseason last year at 13 and 17, which would, and a couple of SEC tournament wins as well, but 13 and 17 regular season uh, win total. That would mean that South Carolina needs to go eight and four over their last 12 games. And again, you've got Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and you've got Kentucky, and you've got Missouri, which is upcoming this weekend. South Carolina actually travels to the other Columbia to take on Missouri this weekend. Um, I simply don't see it happening. I think South Carolina, best case right now, is going five and eight. Um, I think Vanderbilt, Mississippi State are as sure two of three losses, maybe even sweeps as they come. I uh, would not be shocked to see South Carolina get swept by Vanderbilt. Um, and then, you know, that one's at Founders Park. You think of it, Mississippi State is in uh, Starkville. So that will be extremely tough. Um, so I just think right now, I mean, I, I even said it a couple weeks ago. I told a fan, 
you know, what, what can you look for in this season? Somebody asked me that, and I basically just told them, listen, take your lumps, move to 2020. Get healthy, get your arms back. And I hate to say that, but, I mean, you're, you're seeing this team right now, kind of everything we've talked about, um, you know, come to fruition with just the lack of arms, the inconsistent, you know, hitting at the plate. I, you know, the hitting is definitely one. Again, I have not talked about it enough or given those guys, honestly, enough grief. But <clears throat> the hitting is one that truly – you know, truly is concerning because, you know, th- there have not been injuries in the lineup. There have not been any injuries pretty, besides Andrew Eister. There have been no injuries in the lineup. You have all your guys, all your seniors, you know, all these new guys you brought in. But like I said, I really, truly do believe listening to Mark Kingston's pressers after this series, I truly believe that Mark Kingston, he knows he doesn't have a roster to compete right now. I, I, I just – I'm, you know, again, that's just me. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that is what I'm taking away. He knows that he does not have a roster to compete right now. You listen to him after South Carolina lost the series. He basically just talked about, you know, we just got to get better. We've got to work with this roster. He mentioned this roster. You know, I, again, I'm 100% on board with Mark Kingston. I think Mark Kingston, the guy, and I think that South Carolina fans, it's very, very tough, but they're going to have to be patient because I think what happened you know, last year he came into a situation where South Carolina had a ton of seniors. South Carolina had a ton of veterans and a ton of guys that maybe the most potential wasn't pulled out of them from the old staff, from Chad Holbrook and those guys. And he was able to pull that out. Guys like LT Tolbert, Madison Stokes, for sure, who had big years, Justin Rowe, Danny Blair, guys like that, um, Carlos Cortez, et cetera. You know, losing all those guys, though, losing 10 guys of the draft, you know, I think South Carolina imagined it would be able to plug holes with. Juco guys, which it has to an extent. I mean, look at Luke Berryhill. Um, you know, but the hitting has been certainly disappointing. I mean, you think, but I, I think Mark Kingston knows right now between pitching and hitting, he does not have his roster in here or the roster he needs to compete at this level. I mean, especially with, you know, the SEC being as, as it's just unbelievable how good the SEC is right now, as good as it is. Um, I just think Mark Kingston knows he does not have the, the roster he needs to compete at this level right now. Um, neither pitching nor hitting. I mean, I I talked about it last week, but I mean, definitely one of the most disappointing things to me, if you're a South Carolina fan though, is just, again, how big the misses have been. I, I, you know, I want to address something real quick. I I know they're probably not listening, which is fine, but I I had people trying to come after me about, you know, putting up that Noah Campbell was, I believe four for his last 22 or something like that over his, over his last five games or whatever. And, you know, listen, at this point in the season, it, it is not, attacking anyone to just simply put up their stats. That, that's not attack. We, I'm a true believer. The message to that, to, to Noah Campbell's team, or to Noah Campbell himself, if, if people within his team or anything like that got upset about, you know, me simply putting his statistics up, if you don't like the stats, go do something about it. Go change it. You're the one with the bat in your hand, not me. So I'm just simply putting up the stats. I'm not saying you suck, but the, the misses, again, the misses on this team. I mean, you look at – listen – you know, you look at a Brady Allen. He's a true freshman. We could see, you know, if you told me, hey, he's going to hit 140 in the SEC, okay, he's going through freshman struggles. I get that. If you told me that, you know, a guy like Andrew Eister, which hasn't played a ton, but he's only – I mean, he's hitting 077 in, in SEC play, which is insane. You look at Nick Neville. He's hitting 063 in SEC play. I think they said he has one hit in his last 39 at-bats. How he's – you know, no offense, how he's still seeing the field, I have no idea. And I – I said this on social media. I would not be shocked at all if Nick Neville is looking for a new school after this year. I, I can't 
<clears throat> I just can't imagine him coming back, to be honest with you. But the big misses that have been, you know, Noah Campbell hitting 220 in SEC play. TJ Hopkins, as hot a start as he had of the season, 197 in SEC play. Jacob Olson hitting 180 in SEC play. I mean, those are guys you depended on. Those aren't new guys. Those aren't Juco guys. These are veterans at South Carolina. I mean, Chris Cullen is hitting better than all those guys. He's hitting 222 in the SEC. Overall, he's hitting, he's hitting, let's see, 236, which, I mean, that's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a huge improvement on what he did last year. I mean, if you'd have told me before the season, hey, this is what Chris Cullen's going to hit, you know, I wouldn't have been ecstatic about it by any means, but I thought, okay, I mean, if we can get the production we're expecting out of your other guys, your Campbells, your Hopkins, your Olsons, and then we can get that from Cullen, I'll take it. But it's shocking to me how bad those guys have been, how bad the guys that South Carolina was truly looking to depend on have been, how bad they have been for South Carolina. It's just hard to fathom. It's truly, truly hard to fathom. So, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's in the approach, the analytics, what it's in. I mean, I, I can tell you this. I said this after the opening weekend. Um, this South Carolina team does not have a two-strike approach in any sense of the word. Not no, no, no sense of the word. I mean, this is a team that struck out 366 times now overall. They've struck out, let's see, an SEC play. They have struck out 165 times in SEC play. This team's played 18 games in the SEC, and they've struck out 165 times. It's just, that's just not going to get it done. I don't care about the home run numbers. That's not going to get it done. I mean, this team, I know it's, again, tough as a South Carolina fan to watch. Um, it's extremely tough. I mean, this is the toughest South Carolina baseball season. And You know, I said it on, on social media. I really, truly believe this may be the worst South Carolina baseball team since the 90s I mean can you think of one team since 2000 that's been as bad as this one even Chad Holbrook's worst teams were I would say more competitive than this team or probably have finished with much better SEC records I mean his worst SEC record Chad Holbrook was 13 and 17 I mean again I'm projecting right now this team will finish up 10 and 20 in the SEC this team right now is fighting for Hoover there's no question this team is fighting for Hoover with I believe the bottom two behind them are Kentucky and Alabama, who already beat South Carolina two of three. So, you know, South Carolina's got issues all over the field. I mean, you know, you talk about, and again, it's a shame because I feel like you can give South Carolina somewhat of a pass with their pitching because the, all of the injuries, but the hitting, being what it is, has been just, it's been atrocious. It's just been absolutely atrocious, and I don't really think there's a fix to it at this point. Again, I think if you're a South Carolina fan, and you're looking for a glimmer of hope or, you know, you want me to say something optimistic, it's going to sound bad. But the most optimistic thing you can say as a South Carolina fan right now is that <clears throat> there are only 12 SEC games left, and this season is almost over. I mean, I, it sounds harsh, but that, that really is the only thing to look forward to, is this season mercifully coming to an end. So, again, I would love to be proven wrong. South Carolina go out there and sweep Mizzou and sweep Vanderbilt and sweep this and that, but – we're talking about a team that has not even won an SEC series, much less swept anyone. So, um, you know, again, overall, South Carolina falling to 5-13 and 13 in the SEC. It is, it's very hard to fathom. It's hard to believe that South Carolina baseball right now sitting at that 23-17, and 5-13 and 13 overall in the conference. But, you know, it is what it is, and you are what your record is. So, I just 
you know, I have full faith and confidence again that Mark Kingston is going to get his guys in there. He's going to get arms back from injury, Graham Lawson, Logan Chapman. We've talked about him before, Carmen Majinski, and he's going to get his guys in there in his lineup that he wants. But there got to be some big changes to be made, I think, especially even in the offseason. I just think from the approach standpoint, I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I get having, an, you know, you wanting to have an approach but not having the guys that you want in there. But you you got to find a way – for your guys to take more competitive at bats. That, that's just the bottom line, in my opinion. Um, okay, so pretty light show in regards to news. Um, really just recapping that, that SEC series against Texas a and I'm going to go ahead and move into some listener questions because <clears throat> I have a lot of good ones. So I'm going to go ahead and move into those. I want to start um, I want to start with a listener question from Twitter that I forgot to address on last week's show. Uh, it's from Spurs Up at Spurs Up USC on Twitter. His question was this. Given all a clean slate, <clears throat> which Gamecock head coach will have the most success in the next five years? So I guess we're talking basketball, baseball, football. Will Muschamp, Frank Martin, and Mark Kingston, who will have the most success in the next five years? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I think right now I would definitely say Mark Kingston. Um, I think it's, again, a hot debate. I, I would say Mark Kingston simply because he is working with – a bigger advantage than the other two in regards to the program. You know, Mark Kingston, South Carolina baseball, even with this bad season, this is a program, a very proud program that still has tradition. It's still one of the best programs in the country in college baseball, and you're still going to be able to pull, you know, the top recruits, guys you want, get them into your system, and bring in talent. There's no question in my mind. When you look at what Will Muschamp is facing with the football program, the uphill battle he's facing, Clemson and Georgia, I fear, are not going anywhere. Um, so South Carolina having to bring in talent to face those guys. And then Frank Martin, with what simply you face as South Carolina's head basketball coach from a recruiting perspective, um, I think the path to be successful is the easiest for Mark Kingston. So I think even given a clean slate over the next five seasons, I think Mark Kingston, honestly, I'd be shocked if he did not have the most success amongst those three men, but will def- amongst those three men, but it will definitely be something to keep a close eye on. I think it's a really good question. Um, Connor Shaw three. The question is simply just Yurick, which I'm guessing you're asking how much, if any, playing time will Jay Yurick get this year, especially at the wide receiver position. I think we could definitely see him out there. I don't think I'm not expecting him to make some huge impact for South Carolina. I'm not I'm not buying into that simply because of the spring game, but very, very excited to see how they can use him on the field. He's definitely got some athleticism and I think just getting him on the field and using that some way would be good for South Carolina. Um, <clears throat> Gamecock coverage asks, chrome helmets, question mark. Um, I don't see the chrome helmets happening. I know I put up the, the the picture, I guess, has. It looks like the helmet is the garnet chrome. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, who knows? We'll have to see, but I, I, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to do the chrome helmets. Um, AJ Bowers underscore 11. For some reason, people have us at six in the east and below Mizzou and Tennessee, your thoughts? Um, you know, I think you're probably talking about the Barrett-Salee preseason where he's got South Carolina. Listen, I mean, my thoughts are it's, it's all season talk. It's all preseason predictions, which really don't mean anything. I mean, you think about last year, where was South Carolina picked? Second in the SEC East, supposed to give Georgia fits, contend with Georgia, contend for the SEC East title, and look how that went. So I I, I sort of like South Carolina being under the radar, sort of flying under the radar. Nobody really expecting a whole lot out of out of South Carolina. Um, I do think being below Missouri and especially Tennessee. I think being below Tennessee is a little ridiculous. Um, Tennessee is a team for me that 
I, I've got to see it happen before I believe. Um, I think Missouri's catching a lot of hype, obviously, because of the Kelly Bryant transfer. How good really will he be at Mizzou? We'll have to wait and see. I know a lot of people are high on it. I personally think that's still a game that South Carolina should win. Um, but I don't know. I, I think really honestly – I think really honestly, especially in Barrett's Lee's case, because he was a guy that was specifically picking South Carolina to have a really, really good season. And, you know, give Georgia some fits. You know, a lot of times when guys do that and the team, you know, does what South Carolina did and doesn't meet expectations and sort of falls flat on their face in a game against, you know, Georgia or a game where they picked them to do well, those guys are sort of hesitant to give any sort of expectations the next season. So, bottom line, I, I don't look really look into it. You're going to see a lot of preseason projections, a lot of – predictions if you will but that's all it is it's talking season as Steve Spurrier used to say I don't think it's something that's going to affect Carolina football moving forward so um but you know interesting I, I think South Carolina is better than that though um <clears throat> Stokes underscore Huey why are we so bad at baseball um that is a very good question like I said I think it's a combination of a depleted injured pitching staff and a very very inconsistent lineup I, I think that's really as simple as that um Ranthony 51. So the Gamecocks are ranked 19th in a poll. How is that? Um, that's a very good question. So one thing I didn't mention, South Carolina ranked 19th in the ESPN football power index poll. What does it really mean? Listen, I don't think it really means anything. I mean, Florida State was ranked 22nd, which I mean, how in the world is Florida State top 25 at anything? Tennessee was ranked 15th. Um, you know, I I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into it. I mean, I, South Carolina, listen, for all those wondering, South Carolina's not going to be preseason ranked in any poll, um, you know, any of the AP polls, any of the coaches' polls, nothing. So I don't think this poll really means anything. I don't think it's really a big deal at all. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I don't even really know what the football power index thing means. I know they came out and said South Carolina had the toughest schedule in the country according to the power index, which I think is something we already knew. I don't think that's something we really needed the power index to tell us, but – um, you know, for what it's worth, again, South Carolina's ranked 19th in that football power index poll. So, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's great to get the recognition, but I don't think it means, you know, I don't think it means a whole lot if you're a South Carolina fan. Um, let's see. I think that's going to do it for all the listener questions. I want to make sure I didn't miss out on any because I did that last week. No, that's going to do it for all the listener questions. All right, good stuff. Good questions. Appreciate you guys sending those in. If you don't, um, we always, always put up on our Instagram page. If you want to leave us questions, be sure to follow us, the Spurs Up show on Instagram. Whenever you see the post, the story, be sure to leave us some questions. Really do appreciate listener questions. Also, if you haven't done so, be sure to go follow us on our social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, our website. You guys know where to find us. Also, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. You guys know where to find us. Got a fantastic interview coming up. Like I talked about, it's brought to you again by our friends over at SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. If you haven't done so, <clears throat> be sure to go download the SeatGeek app. Use that promo code SPURSUP. Save $10 off your first purchase. I mean, literally, they've got tickets to anything and everything you can think of. It does not have to be sports. Literally, if you're going to an event, you need a ticket. Be sure to check with SeatGeek first and use our promo code. Why not save yourself some money in the meantime? Again, that's SeatGeek. Go download that app. Use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecock safety TJ Gurley. 
All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2012 to 2015, was named All-SEC freshman in 2012, accumulated three career interceptions, played safety for the Gamecocks. I want to welcome TJ Gurley to the show. TJ, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for um, letting me be on with you guys. Um, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on talking about, you know, um, how my experience was um, playing for the Gamecocks and my time there. Thank absolutely. You, yeah, no, absolutely. No doubt. We really appreciate it. So let's go back to your high school days, TJ. You know, you were a class 3A all-region player from Cairo, Georgia uh, at Cairo High School. Just kind of talk about your recruitment as a whole, because I can imagine being a highly touted player from the state of Georgia. Um, you had a lot of different offers. Just talk about kind of your recruitment and what led you to eventually become a Gamecock. Um, my, my recruitment, it was um, pretty tough at first um, because I'm from a small town called Cairo, like you, like you mentioned. Um, you know, we rat rat above, rat down by Tallahassee, Florida. And so, you know, a lot of these colleges, they don't really come down to the small towns like Cairo, Thomasville, Georgia, Bainbridge High School. They just want state championship um, with Moultrie. So a lot of teams, a lot of, a lot of colleges, they go up to like the Atlanta area where they could go to like Stevenson High School, um, Lovejoy High School, McKeetron High School. They could go to all these different high schools in the Atlanta area. So they forget about their small town, small town high school. So it was, it was very hard for me. It was, it was hard to get, a, get, a, get some buzz um, around the D1 college world. So I had to go to a lot of camps for these Atlanta guys. They, they don't have to go to camps. They, colleges go to these schools and watch their films and give them get give them offers so you know a small town guys from you know where i'm from it's a lot of talent in Cairo, but it's hard to get noticed because we don't have no colleges to come down there because once you come to Cairo, it may take you 30 to 40 minutes to go to another high school and it's like you know colleges coaches don't really want to drive that long where they could go to atlanta and hit two or three high schools within five, 15 minutes you know so it was it was hard for me. So I had to go to a lot of camps and go to a lot of college camps. And once I started going to the camps and, you know, doing my thing, you know, going out there, putting up good numbers, going out there and showcasing my my skills, it was, you know, the offer started rolling in. But, you know, it's, I think it's a lot of talent in the small towns, you know, down in South Georgia, like Cairo, Thomasville, Bainbridge. <clears throat> but it's it's just hard to get out there because, you know, colleges don't really come down there. And, you know, so so my my high school recruitment, it was it was hard at first until I learned that, okay maybe I need to start going to these camps and, you know, put myself up against these guys that they say are five stars and four stars. So once I started going to the camps and started showcasing my ability and my skills, you know, I started getting offers. So, you know, that's that's basically how my recruitment went for me. For sure. What uh, what made you decide to become a Gamecock? Was it did South Carolina show the most interest, or did it come down to a couple of different schools, or was it always a no brainer to go to South Carolina? Um, it was at at first. South Carolina wasn't really, you know, one of my favorite schools growing up. Um, South Carolina wasn't really a school that popped out, you know. So, I really wanted to go to the University of Florida, but when I went up there, at the time, you know, they was. I, I had a good camp and everything, but I never really got them to pull the trigger on me and give me an offer. So my top schools was Mississippi State, Tennessee, and South Carolina. And, you know, I narrowed it down. Me and my family, we took a 
we took a weekend trip. We went to um, those three schools. We went to Mississippi State first, Tennessee. Then we came to South Carolina. I really like the coach John Butler. Um, I, are you familiar with him? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I, I like the coach John Butler, and I like the coach Ellis Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, John Butler recruited me. He came to my school. He recruited me. He he offered me, and then once once he left, um, Jeep Hunter took over. You remember Jeep Hunter? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And, and and Coach Jeep Hunter, he was just you know he was just a guy that you know made me and my family feel very welcome. I liked the campus when I came up here. I liked the guys that I was going to be playing with, like Rico McWilliams, Chad Elder, Chris Moody, Mike Davis, Kyle Fleetwood, Jordan Diggs, all all those guys. Um, it was, you know, we just created a good bond and a good connection. I still keep up with those guys now. And I, you know, I wanted to come to Carolina and, and play with those guys and see can we keep the keep the tradition going on like Swearingen and Kleine them had done had done started. So I, I decided to commit to South Carolina. And I think I made a um a great decision. Coach Coach Grady Brown, he was a he was a really great coach. He taught me a lot about life. He taught me a lot on the field and off the field. Um, also, Coach Lorenzo Ward, um, Coach Mark Orphy, and Coach Addie Williams. He he now he's now coaching um, at Auburn, and you know those guys taught me those coaches taught me a lot. And also, you know, just coming to Carolina, I had some older guys that I you know wanted to play up under and learn from, like DJ Swerger, um, Devontae Holliman, um, <clears throat> Victor Hampton, Jimmy Legree. Um, uh, Keem Augusti, all those guys, man, you know, just the knowledge that they had, that they had from, you know, playing, beating Alabama, going to the SEC championship, you know, those, those guys just gave us a lot of knowledge and, you know, laid the foundation for us. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, learn from those guys. And so, so I was like, you know, maybe South Carolina is the place I need to be, you know, for his education. You know, we, we, we great for his education. Um, Maria, she do a great job with the student athletes, and you know I couldn't pass that up because at the end of the day, you know football is not gonna last forever, and I wanted to have something to fall back on, and you know so it was a no-brainer to come to Carolina, and and also the fans, man, the fans are just great here. You know, life after sports is the key, and so you know after after my sport sport career was over, you know just the the fan base they just you know. You know, just welcome me with open arms out here to the work world, and I, you know, I had opportunities, you know, job opportunities. Just, you know, just being a student athlete and carry myself in a great way, and you know, I, you know, it was a blessing to, you know, be a gamecock, and I think I made a great decision. Absolutely. So you come on to campus, TJ, 2012. South Carolina is in the middle of you know, I would say the greatest run in school history, winning the SC East in 2010, all the great players, like you mentioned, winning uh, what would be 11, 11 games three years in a row. But you come in as a true freshman, would certainly say held your own again. You were selected SEC all-freshman squad by the coaches. But let's go to the 2012 season. Obviously, you, you get action early on, literally the first game of your college career at Vanderbilt. You play in that one. You guys obviously get the win there. Uh, but the game I want to jump to is the South Carolina-Missouri game. Um, you get the start mm-hmm. in that one the week before UAB, DJ Swearinger gets suspended for a hit that I'll still say was legal. Um, <laughs> I'll still argue was legal. Yeah. But DJ Swearinger gets suspended the following week by the SEC. And I remember specifically watching that game on TV, the CBS broadcast. They made it a point before the game to mention that and, you know, announced that you were getting the start and that DJ Swearinger had 
you know, you could visually see him talking to you on the sidelines, maybe trying to kind of coach you up a little bit. And you sort of talked about, you know, that relationship with him. Just what did he say to you before that game? And what was your overall relationship like with, uh, with DJ Swearinger? I mean, a guy that, you know, is doing it at the highest level right now in the NFL. Oh man, he, he 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 just brought that he just brought that dog and when I came to Carolina it was like you know I was a three star prospect and you know nowadays you know colleges is it's a little bit political you know I won't say a little bit but you know it's a little it's political you know you got these five stars coming in fans want to see the five stars play you know they want to see you know why everybody say he's a five star so he's gonna that guy's gonna get more opportunities than you than you will if you was a three star so. He have more more opportunities to mess up before they realize. Okay, let's sit him down. You know, but if you're a three star, you come in and mess up. You know, they quit to say, okay, well, you know, we 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 already had in mind we may redshirt you. So you know, I came in. You know, I had my 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 family. They, you know, we you know we 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 come to you know we we came to to show what you know the training that we done put in. I came to college like, okay, I'm here. I'm a three star. I know I'm, I know it's a lot of other DBs that came in that was four stars like Kyle Fleetwood, Chaz Elder, Chris Moody, you know. So it was like I want to I want to show them that I'm that I'm that I came here to play as well. So I came in as a freshman. Um, I showed them my work ethic in the weight room, and and DJ just gravitated to me. You know, he just was like, "Hey, I want you to work out with me after after we finish in the weight room. I want you to work out with me." you know, in the evening and at nighttime. So, you know, we, we would get three workouts in a day, two and three workouts in a day. And I just felt like, you know, just working out with him, it just built my confidence. So when we came into practice, it was like, okay, I'm ready to showcase my skills. And, you know, I just had a good fall camp. And, you know, Coach Lorenzo Ward, he just believed in me that, you know, I was able to play as a freshman. So in the Vanderbilt game, like you mentioned, I got in, you know, on third downs, I, you know, I showcased my skills. I got my feet wet. And then in the um, the Missouri game, that was one of my biggest games out of freshman. That was my first time really starting a full game. You know, when DJ just, you know, me and him watched film that whole week. You know, after practice, we watched film. I went over to his house at nighttime. We watched film. And, you know, he was just showing me different things that I didn't see as a freshman that he would – he saw as his career – being a game cop that he had to learn learn from just you know playing against the Alabamas and playing against the Floridas and playing against different teams over his career he just was giving me different pointers and keys to look out for you know during the game so a lot of that helped me and you know we came out with the victory and after that game I you know my confidence you know kept rising I felt like oh I could play in the SEC you know even though I'm a freshman you know I could play with these guys so you know I I went on to you know have have good games, you know, you know, being consistent. And then the Florida game, I tore my ACL and my LCL. So, you know, that set me out the rest of the year. But, you know, I had a blessed freshman year. I had some good leaders above me that, you know, showed me the ropes and, you know, laid the foundation and took me up under their wings. So, you know, that's a blessing. Absolutely. And I want to get to that injury in just a second. Obviously, like you mentioned, a big part of your freshman year. But you can't talk about the 2012 season without talking about the South Carolina-Georgia game, uh, college game day, night game at williams Bryce. you know, a game that is still talked about, still replayed. 
lives in South Carolina fans' minds, people that don't remember South Carolina getting the 35-7 to win, huge win over Georgia. Just, TJ, as a player on the field in that game, in that arena, in that stadium that night, talk about just what you remember from that game, that experience whooping up on Georgia like that. Man, you know, man, that's a that's a great that's a great feeling. You know, growing up, you know, in a small town like me, you know, just seeing game day on TV every Saturday morning, and you waking up early, you know, just looking at the TV, waiting for game day to come on, waiting to hear Kurt Herbstreit and Lee Corso them talk about the different the different matchups. You know, it was like, man, when I get to college, you know, I wanna I wanna play in a game that have college game day there, and you know, just for to have to have that my freshman year was like wow you know I'm I'm really living the dream you know and when we played against Georgia that year it was man it was a night game William Bryce was William Bryce was rocking you know you had Todd Gurley as a freshman you know he was he was highly talked about he had done had a couple good games and you know our defense was just outstanding that year we had Connor Shaw A Sanders and you know I'm a freshman I'm like man I'm it's college game day here. William Bryce rocking. It's a night game. And, you know, we had a great defense and a great offense. And, you know, it was just crazy. And I, I, I remember I was on punt return team. And, and I was – me and Sherrod Golatler were blocking this guy. And A. Sanders just took it to the house. And it was just like, man, man, William Bryce was rocking. I was like, man, I'm really living the dream. It's like, you know, I, I made it. You know, so it was – it it was crazy. That game was really crazy. Yeah, but we we shut them out. We we shot the world and showed them that you know we we done made our mark in the SEC. I think that I think did they how many points they scored that game? That was they scored seven. I remember they got a cheap touchdown at the end of the game with like literally three or four minutes. Yeah, left, they, yeah. It was like we came and Coach Spurrier was like, "Hey, this is gonna be a big game." You know, they had they had some good players on offense and they had a great defense. They had Bakar Rambo. He was a great safety. They had a they had a good um, running back core. They had some good receivers and a good quarterback. You know, so they was good on offense and defense as well. And you know, we shocked them. It was like, man, our defense just stopping everything, and offense was clicking on all cylinders. They 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 only put up seven points. It was like, man, we we done show we done show the country that South Carolina is on the map now. So, so that was that was crazy. So you were on the punt return team that Ace Sanders had the uh, the punt that he took back to the house. I know a lot of fans have debated this. You know, a lot of fans have told me that that was the loudest they've ever heard Williams Bryce Stadium ever. Would you say that was the loudest you ever heard it during your time there? That was that was the loudest. I I, I could say that that in Clemson, that in Clemson was mm-hmm. the loudest. When we beat Clemson, when we beat Clemson that. I think then we played Clemson home that year as well. It was 2013 because I was at that one. Now that that one was yeah, the stadium 20, was rocking that night for sure. Yeah, yeah. When we played Clemson in 2013, it was it was crazy. So that in Clemson is is about the is about the craziest it it has ever been since I've been when I was playing. You know that Georgia game and that Clemson game. You William Bryce is gonna is gonna turn up. No doubt, no doubt. So like you mentioned. Uh, Two weeks later at Florida, you suffer a leg injury. Just kind of talk about uh, – because you were able to come back in 2013, but you had the knee injury. Talk about what it was like to – you know, like you mentioned, you had a good freshman year, but I know it had to be frustrating to have that season-ending knee injury when you were having such a good season. Just talk about sustaining that injury and then the 
kind of the grind to come back? What motivated you while you were, uh, while you were doing rehab to come back even stronger in 2013? Um, when I suffered a knee injury, it was like, man, I was having a, I was having a good season. You know, I was, I was happy. You know, I was happy that I came in and played a freshman. You know, I was happy I was consistent and I, you know, I had done gained the coach's trust and, you know, and it was, I felt like, you know, I was going to be the starter next year going into my sophomore season. And, you know, I suffered, a, I suffered the knee injury and it was like, man, you know, but, you know, my, my stepdad, he, he, he really pushed me a whole lot. My stepdad, he always told me that, you know, the game has got to be bigger than you because if, if you just playing the game for self, once you get down on yourself or once you want, if you ever want to quit, you're going to quit because you just playing it just for you. So, you know, I made it in my mind that it, the game wasn't just for me. It was for, you know, my hometown guys that was that, 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 that I felt like could have made it and could have played, played for South Carolina and started over some of the guys, you know, that was playing or could have been on the team, you know, or could have went to the Florida or the LSUs. But, you know, like I said, it's hard to get recruited where I'm from. So, you know, it was for those guys. It was for, you know, my mom, you know, she, you know, just, you know, just to try to make it to the NFL and, you know, sit her down and, you know, you know, make it to where, you know, my, my mom, she didn't really have to work if she didn't have to, you know, it was, it was a lot of reasons, you know, just for my community, you know, and so the grind, it just, it, it got 10 times harder because, you know, coaches, they bringing in guys every year to take their position. So, you know, the next year they was bringing in Chris Lehman. They was bringing in Al Harris. They was bringing in DJ Smith. So it was like, you know, they bringing in guys. And also I got guys and guys that still here like Bryson Williams, Taz Elder, Taz Elder, um, Chris Moody, Khadijah Marcus. So it was like Kyle Fleetwood. It was like I, I, I got the ground, you know. It's, it's a business at the same time. But it's also they bringing in guys that they, they feel like could replace me. So it was, it was, it was just like I, I got the grind because I want to play next year. So you know that's that's what motivated me. No doubt. So you responded, like I said, in a big way. Twenty thirteen, um, you got off to a really hot start in twenty thirteen. I thought it was really, really interesting. So for the season, you had thirty tackles, twenty one solo tackles, but you started the season, came off the bench against UNC in the opener at Williams Bryce, uh, finished with nine tackles in that game, seven solo tackles. Uh, and then against Georgia the following week in Athens, you had your first start of the season, had 11 tackles, which is actually your career high, and eight solo tackles. Um, what I noticed, which I thought was really, really interesting about 2013, you can probably expand on this, is that you had 20 tackles in those first two games of the season and then just 10 tackles in the final 11 games. Did something – what changed for you as far as 2013? Did the rotation as far as the safety rotation change? Or did, can you expand on just kind of how, how your 2013 season played out? So in, in 2013, it was, you know, that was that was a kind of shaky year for me. It was, you know, I still feel like, you know, I I I learned a lot for, you know, college world and, you know, just for me becoming a man. I, I should have registered my 2013 year. You know, I was young. I was I'd probably say I was 19, 20, probably 19 years old. I, I wanted to play so bad and it was like I'm rehabbing. I'm you know, I'm not thinking like an adult, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, I'm young and I just want to get out there and play. I don't care if I'm not a hundred percent. I just want to get out there and play. So 
you know, I still had my knee brace on. I was rushing back. I was looking at all these social, I was looking at all these articles from, you know, the Riders Game Cop Central. Oh, TJ Gurley going to be the next DJ Scrooge. He is going to, he's going to take over that position. You know, he, he could, you know, if he have a good year this year and next year, he maybe could get drafted or something, you know, so I'm reading all these articles and I'm like, I can't, I, I can't get my position to, you know, everybody feel like I'm this supposed to be my position. I got to rush back. I got to, I got to, you know, rehab hard, you know, so I'm out there playing with a knee brace. You know, I don't feel like I'm a hundred percent. I really can't, you know, I don't really got good flexibility in my hips. I can't really bend, but you know, I'm doing the best that I could. And instead of red shirting, you know, I didn't never have no sit down talk with my coaches. You know, I didn't never have no talking. They never talked to me like, Hey, do you feel like you want a red shirt this year? you know, and come back next year as a sophomore healthy, you know, it was just like TJ, TJ, I, you know, TJ, you, 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 you second screen behind Khadijah. So it was like, okay, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to show them when I get in that I'm a hundred, that I'm, that I'm ready to play. But I felt like I won. I felt like I was ready, but my body, my body, it wasn't ready. So the first two games, you know, I did the best I could. I had pretty good games, but then the coaches saw that TJ, you ain't you ain't really ready. Even though I had a pretty decent game against Georgia, you know I made a a few mistakes. For us, you know it was on film that it was noticeable that TJ wasn't all the way back healthy. But I still had a you know pretty good game. Had 11 tackles, you know like you said had eight solos. But the coaches saw that I wasn't ready, and they you know they set me back, and you know they I I got push back like the third screen, you know, and I wasn't really playing on defense because I think the coaches felt like I was a liability and, you know, I wasn't all the way healthy. But that's when the rule, the NCAA rule was if you play one game or if you play a snap, you already lost your red shirt year. Right. So it was like my red shirt year was over with and it was like, man, I wasted a whole year. So that's that's why I started off good at first and then after that Georgia game, they saw on film that hey you weren't healthy. I was a liability to the defense, you know, and they 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 set me they set me down and you know I really basically I got in a, a little bit, but I really basically watched the whole season, and you know that that hurt my season. I really wish you know if I could turn back times, I would have redshirted that year, came back the next year as a sophomore and would have been a junior in the classroom and would have been a sophomore in the field. And I would have been a hundred percent healthy, you know, but you know, it's, it's life and, you know, everything happens for a reason. No doubt. I was going to ask you, you know, be, I know you said you grew up a Florida fan, but being a kid from the state of Georgia, um, did you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder, you know, having that good of a game in Athens? I know you guys didn't get the win, unfortunately, but how cool was it to go into Georgia Stadium, go into Athens and, you know, have that type of game back in your home state? Man, it it, it was very cool. You know, every, you know, every, I, I always wanted to go, you know, I never went to a Georgia football game growing up and I always saw it on TV. I watched, you know, A.J. Green. I watched, um, Rashawn Ely, I watched, you know, who, who's the safety? Rashad Jones. So I, I watched a lot of those guys, and it was like, man, it on TV it looked it, it looked it, you know, looked it great to be able to just watch them play and watch the crowd react to, you know, to the different plays and 
you know, but to get there and see, you know, see Sanford Stadium and, you know, see the crowd and get out there and play against the University of Georgia and make plays, it was like, you know, it was it was crazy. So, but, you know, that Sanford Stadium, that's, that's, a, that's a great play to play. That's a great place, you know, to go play in. You know, that's a great atmosphere to be at. So, no doubt. So, 2013. No, go ahead. But but growing up, I I never really been a Georgia fan. I liked the players. I liked some of the players that played there. But Georgia never really, you know, just gravitated to me. I always really liked the University of Florida and LSU. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I was going to say 2013 definitely had its flair for the dramatics as well. Again, you guys go 11-2 and two once again. Um, I want to go back to a specific game. Again, I know 13 was sort of a, like you said, inconsistent season for you with the injuries and stuff like that. But, you know, you were obviously dressed out on the team. Um, you guys go suffer a really crushing loss at Tennessee, go the following week to Missouri to take on fifth-ranked Missouri, which, again, is another game that is just talked about, you know, amongst South Carolina fans to this day, Connor Shaw, the sick game coming in in the fourth quarter. Um, Have you ever played in or seen a game as crazy as that one where a team was able to come back and just kind of what was that like uh, to be able to come back like that on the road and get the win? Man, that was was crazy. We, since my time at Carolina, we never had to really come back from a game like that and win. So, you know, just to see Connor Shaw get in the game and and bring us all the way back, you know, that was like crazy. You know, that was we came all the way back. It was it was it was going. We we went crazy out there in Missouri. That was a game. That was that was a crazy game. And you know, I I I wish I could have played in the game, but I was sitting on the sideline. You know, just you know watching the whole game unfold. And you know, to see him come in the game and and be the leader that he was. You know, and be the guy that you know that he showed the game nation that that he was. You know, to cut for him to come in and see it unfold right in front of my eyes crazy you know that was that was that was that that memory I, I will never forget that, that forget that game no doubt so later that season against coastal carolina you guys are having south Carolina having kind of its annual tune-up game before the clemson game you guys get a huge win 70 to 10 but you personally you get your first ever career interception um in that game against coastal carolina just kind of talk about what it meant to you um and what do you remember that from getting your first ever pick in college Man, that was, you know, that was that was crazy. You know, I had been talking to my dad and I had been telling him, you know, you know, why this had to happen to me, you know, like, you know, I had a I had a promising freshman year, I get injured, you know. It was like, man, you know, I had dreams of, you know, playing three years and hopefully I could make it to the NFL, but just having a injury free career and, you know, getting a shot at the league, you know, and coming in as a as a freshman, you know, that was my mindset, you know. I come in as a freshman, I play, I, I make my I make my mark, you know, I, I try to get a star position and I hopefully I could dominate, play good and you know, if I can make it to the NFL in three years, that would that would have been great. You know, so I was I was frustrated that whole year, like I said, the first two games I came in, you know, nine tackles in, came back with eleven tackles, you know, having a good first two games and then to get sat on the bench and it was like man you know I should have just took a red shirt so I was mad the whole year and then for me to get in that coaster game after being discouraged about a lot of stuff you know and get my first career in the steps and it was like man you know you know God always come on time to let you know he showed me that hey everything is going to be all right you know I'm, I'm still here with you you get what I'm saying 
So it was it was it was it was crazy. You know, that was my first career interception. You know, all my teammates like Victor Hampton, Chris Moody, Chaz Elder, Chaz Elder, Jim Legree, Chaz Sutton, all those guys, you know, like hit me on the head, man, and, and holding me up in the air because, you know, they you know, they, they saw my freshman year and they, you know, they felt like, oh, TJ going to come in his sophomore year, and, you know, and be a promising player. But, you know, for me to get sat on the bench and, you know, for them to see that man, you know, TJ, you really should have redshirted. You know, it was, it was like, you know, they was, they was discouraged for me as well. Like, man, you know, you really should have redshirted, but everything happened for a reason. And when I got that interception, you know, they were happy for me. No doubt. So 2012-2013, obviously, like you've mentioned already a ton, you played with, you know, some of the most legendary Gamecocks of all time, some of the best players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. If you had to pick one, which would you say was the better of the two defenses, 2012 or 2013? Um, I would say 20 is it's, it's hard. It's hard. I would say 2012, though. 2012, you know, my freshman year, we we had a lot of a lot of a lot of dogs on that defense. We had Devin Taylor, we had Byron Gerardu, we had Clowney, we had uh, Swearinger's last we, year as well. Yeah, we had Swearinger, we had Devontae Holliman, we had Shaq Wilson, we had um, Reggie Bowens, we had um, we had Victor Hampton, we had Jim Legree. We had we had Chad Sutton. So man, we 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 had a we our, our defense was crazy. That 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 defense in twenty twelve that was that was a crazy that was that defense it was that was a dominating defense. You know, a lot of those boys went on to play in the NFL and mm-hmm. still playing in the NFL right now. No doubt. So you mentioned one of them, Jadavion Clowney. I got to ask you as a guy that played on the same defense as J.D. Clowney, you know, obviously you mentioned he's doing big things in the NFL, was the number one overall pick. I think it was in 2014. Um, just talk about as a guy that played on the same defense as J.D. Clowney, what do you remember from playing with him? I mean, a guy that was talked about as a Heisman Trophy candidate at one point even. I mean, definitely – maybe arguably the best college football defensive lineman ever. Uh, what do you remember specifically playing from your playing days with Jadavion Clowney? Man, a, a lot of people just look at his, you know, saw, saw the play that he made on the field. But as an overall person, man, he was, you know, he was a great guy. He liked to joke around a lot. And, you know, he was a very humble guy as well. You know, he, I remember him, me coming in as a freshman he. You know, he'll come pick me and Jordan Diaz up and, you know, he'll take us out and we hang out with him and we'd be over his house and, you know, in the locker room, he'll like to clown on us, make us, you know, just make us feel comfortable, you know, not so we won't be all tensed up and shy and nervous to be around the older guys. You know, so as a freshman, you know, he, he joked around a lot, got the locker room involved, you know, and most fans don't really see that. But, you know, he was he was a great guy off the field. But, you know, on the field, you know, Every every game we know when we need to play made, Clowney was gonna make the play. If if we need a sack, Clowney he 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 was gonna pin his ears back and he was gonna sack quarterback. You know, so that to have a person on the defense in the secondary, you feel you know you feel relaxed because you feel like okay, I know that the quarterback gonna get pressure every play. So my job is not 
is not going to be really stressful because I'm not going to have to hold this rod receiver as long because the quarterback going to have to throw it fast. So, you know, to have him on the defensive line, it was just like, you know, that, that 20, 2012 year and 2013, the secondary didn't really have to do nothing. You know, the <laughs> secondary was like it took a lot of stress off the DBs, which made the DBs look good. You know, but once he left, you know, you didn't have that dominant defense alignment. It was like, now now let's see how the secondary play. So, you know, when he was there, a lot of the secondary, we, we didn't really get exposed on a lot of things because when you got him on the defensive line, you got Devin Taylor, you got Byron Gerardo, you got a your, – your front four is, you know, is incredible. It's, it's hard to expose a secondary when, when you got those guys pinning their ears back and coming at you every play. So – you know, to him to have him on that defensive line and to have him as a gamecock, it was great because it made us secondary guys look good. Yeah, I was gonna say obviously twenty fourteen, you had a really, really good year, but would you say, you know, overall the defense, um, you guys didn't have as good of a year as you did in twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. Would you say that was the biggest difference just as far as the guys lost up on the uh you know, up on the defensive line? Because obviously there were a ton of guys you replaced. I mean, I remember specifically being at that Texas A&M game to open up the 2014 season. I remember, I believe uh, Al Harris Jr. was getting the start at corner. There were a couple of freshmen starting at defensive back. A um, lot of new faces on that defense. But would you say that the losses on the defensive line uh, were the biggest, uh, I guess, biggest reason the defense suffered in 2014? I've... I, I... I think in twenty we we had a good we the guys on the defensive line that we had was good you know I I can't knock I can't knock that they was good you know we had some good guys on that twenty fourteen defensive line but you know just to have Clowney you know and also we had we had a lot of young guys guys that never you know took on a leadership role you know you lost DJ Swearinger you lost Clowney so we had to find new leaders as well. You know, but you know, to have to have Clowney and those guys like Devin Taylor on that defensive line, you know, the secondary never really got exposed twenty twelve and twenty thirteen. But once we got into twenty fourteen and we faced Texas A and M first game, you know, quarterback not getting not getting much pressure, it was, you know, you're gonna expose a secondary. You know, any 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 secondary get exposed if you don't get no pressure to the quarterback. So I, I won't I, I can't say, you know, it was a defensive line, but I would say, you know, you know, in twenty fourteen, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of pressure like we did when Kleiner was there. And and I think he made a huge impact on that defense in twenty twelve and twenty thirteen. No doubt. I was going to say 2014 was a really, really good year for you overall. I mean, 80 total tackles, 49 solo tackles, had a had an interception against East Carolina as well. Simply put, uh, you know, what clicked for you? I mean, obviously, I know probably experience you being a junior, but what changed going for, for you going from your sophomore to your junior season that led to such a good year in 2014? In, in 2013, I just feel like, you know, I, I was back fully healthy. I had no knee brace. And I had a chip on my shoulder. You know, I feel like, you know, I, I had a lot of things going on in my mind. Like I should have redshirted. You know, I, I wasted a whole year. Now I'm a junior when I could have been a sophomore. You know, so I, I was I was mad in the inside. And I just feel like, you know, I got to make up for the time that I lost. So, you know, every every Saturday I just wanted to go out there and do my best. And, 
you know, and put my best foot forward. And also I was a full-time starter. It was like my freshman year, I, you know, I, I started a Missouri game, but the rest of the season I was playing behind DJ, which is, you know, in the NFL playing great right now. You know, I was getting in on third down nickel package. So I was rotating in and out, and I never got a, a a full game up under my belt where, you know, a full season where I could just, you know, unleash everything and not play slow and not, you know, go in and out of the game. You know, so that my junior year, I was, you know, I got a full season while I was a full-time starter. You know, I I, I got the, I got the feel of the game. I was never rotated in and out, and I feel like I had – that was one of my best years. No doubt. So 2014 again, um, you know, you played under a legendary head coach, you know, let's face it, Steve Spurrier, obviously a hall of famer doing big things with the, or was doing big things with the Apollos, but obviously South Carolina all time winning as coach. Just talk about, I know it's the relationship is different for each player. We've had a t- couple different players that played under Steve Spurrier offense, defense, special teams, even with Elliot Fry coming on. And it's very interesting to kind of hear, you know, the different relationships that people have with Steve Spurrier, just kind of talk about, you know, I know, again, defensively, he, I know Spurrier kind of let his defensive guys, defensive coaches sort of handle that on their own. But what do you remember about playing for, for Steve Spurrier? Um, I remember he was, he, was a, he was a great coach. Um, he also was a great guy to be around. Um, one of my memories I remember, I remember with him was my freshman year. I came in and was in fall camp. And Buster Anderson, we had a scrimmage, and Buster Anderson went across the middle on the post route, and I, I hit him, and and I, I don't know if I hit him hard, but you know the defensive coaches and Coach Spurrier felt like I hit him hard, and Coach Spurrier kicked me out of practice. But after practice, he came and talked to me and said he really liked that, and you know me and him just, you know, gravitated to each other after that. You know, he always spoke. You know, he always was like, girly, girly, you know, talking to me and stuff after, you know, after that scrimmage. And, you know, my rest of, the rest of my career at Carolina, me and him had a great relationship. You know, we talked a lot. And, you know, he asked me, was I, you know, before every game, he asked me, you ready, girly? You got the defense ready? You know, you know, so he was a great guy. We always, every year we went to his house, he made sure, you know, he fed us and we had good camaraderie for us, you know, the our teammate, you know, was riding each other and the coaches for a whole day after practice. So, you know, he was a great goat, great coach. No doubt. So, you know, we talked about a couple of the different South Carolina Clemson games. You were able to go two and two against those guys, uh, obviously getting the wins your first two years. But overall, you know, the rivalry holds a very special place, obviously, for South Carolina fans and Clemson fans alike. Um but talk about, again, you were on the tail end of the five straight, five-game winning streak against Clemson. Just talk about, you know, what you remember from the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry as a whole. And when you think back on it, you know, what are, what are your biggest takeaways from it? Um, I, 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 when I first came to Carolina, it, I, I didn't really know that this rivalry was that big. You know, I I never really watched Carolina football. I never really watched – Clemson football, you know, I was more of a University of Florida and Florida State, you know, guy. Mm-hmm. Um, LSU and Alabama, you know, those was the big robbery games for for me growing up. You know, and then when I came to Carolina, a lot of the guys that was from Carolina, you know, they they took the game very serious. And my freshman year, I was like, 
you know, hey, you know, we we you know we want to win the game, but I didn't know like the rivalry game was you know personal, you know, and you know just seeing those guys take it personal, you know, and knowing and like over the years it became personal to me, you know, so you know that was crazy how you know it was I never really cared about Carolina Clemson rivalry, but then when I come to Carolina, it become personal. And the only thing I remember is, you know, my freshman and sophomore year, it was great. You know, we beat Clemson and, man, you know, the Carolina fans were, you know, it was just crazy. You know, those years walking on campus was like, you know, man, we got a lot of love. The game football players got a lot of love, you know, after the season, you know, we was on a high, we got a lot of love. But then my junior and senior year was like, you know, stuff started to change. You know, it was felt like they started to dominate us more. And but I feel like you know we've got Coach Muschamp in place, and he he's been to turn this thing back around for us. Yeah, I was gonna say obviously 2012 was the game where DJ Swearinger laid South Carolina fans just call it the hit, where he basically basically flipped Andre Ellington. Was there was there ever like a play on the field, or maybe again you played there at Clemson 2012 2014? Was there ever a moment where like maybe you were getting shit talk to you or just a play on the field where you thought to yourself like this just this isn't just like any other game this is uh kind of a game of its own if you will oh yeah um i could re- i could remember my my thing it was it was my junior year my junior year um i, I forgot the um i think he was he number he was number nine he, he's in the nfl right now yeah, for, yeah, yeah. I, I I can't remember his name either. But I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think he was number nine or number eight. Uh, he was the running back, and he he every every time he ran the ball, he was saying he he was coming all night, and he was gonna he he was gonna punish us all night. We were gonna want to stop hitting him, and you know it was just like you know we was going at it all night, and you know that was that was very personal. You know he. It was like every every time he ran the ball, he was running hard and talking trash, and you know the guys was talking trash, and you know the coaches was talking trash. Like if we if 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 we tackled the player on their sideline, they was talking trash. So I was like, man, they, you know this 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 a big time game here, you know. But I came into the game knowing that it was a big time game, but you know just to see the players, you know, focus focusing on talking trash and also playing rather than just playing, I was like, oh, it's, 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 it's going to be a dog fight. You know, it's, it's personal. <laughs> no doubt. So 2015 for you, obviously, your senior season, you know, every player comes into their senior season, um, I think just kind of personally expecting it to be their best. Obviously, you want to go out uh, go out on a high note. Obviously, for you guys, unfortunately, it didn't go the way we all wanted to in 2015, Carolina goes three and nine overall Steve Spurrier resigns about halfway through the season um, after you guys lose at LSU um, I, I want you to be honest just because I, I know it's different for each player we've again we've had some different guys on this show sort of talk about you know their memories from that but just kind of talk about you know you learning I guess learning of the news of when Steve Spurrier uh, decided to step down and resign and you know how did it sit with you I mean did it did it bother you in any way did it rub you wrong at all I mean just kind of talk about overall what you remember from that season and the uh, Spurrier resignation? Um, it, 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 it didn't really, it didn't really rub me wrong, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a business, and he he wasn't a young coach, you know, 
he wasn't a young coach. He had done paid his dues to Carolina. He had done, you know, won a lot of games for Carolina. He had done put Carolina on the map, you know, so it was like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Spurrier felt like it's his time, you know, you know, you know, so, so I couldn't be mad at, him. you know, it was just like, Hey, you came here to do your job. You came here to put your best foot forward for the university and, you know, and, and be a great person for the university on and off the field and set a great example. So I can't look at, you know, why did he leave or, you know, he shouldn't have left, you know, or he shouldn't have resigned. I got to handle what TJ got to handle what he came to Carolina to do, which was play football, get my education and, you know, set a great example on and off the field and make Carolina University look good, make the University of Carolina look good. So, you know, we could get more recruits coming here. So that, that was my goal, you know. You know, I was – with any decision that Spurry would have made, you know, I was happy for him. I, he probably felt like it was his time to go, and, you know, he had them paid his dues to Carolina. He, you know, he was getting a little old. So it was like, hey, you know, hats off to him. I, you know, he, 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 he set a great example, and he put his best foot forward for Carolina. He – you know, he paid his dues here. So you, you, I feel like you couldn't be mad at him. Absolutely. So 2015, TJ, for you personally, solid year to close your career, 59 total tackles, had an interception later in the year against Florida. Uh, when you look back now on your Gamecock career as a whole, um, what would you say, you know, your favorite memories are from being a Gamecock? Um, I feel like my favorite memories are, just 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 coming to Carolina and seeing how great the fans are. You know, coming to Carolina and seeing how, how the fans just, you know, just open their arms up to the players, you know, and and, and make sure the players are happy, you know. You know, talk to the players outside of football. If you see them at a bar or something or if you see them out to eat or something, they, you know, they make it their, you you know, they they make it their, their, their priority, you know, to come up and talk to you and, you know, and make you feel at home. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I still stay in Carolina right now, Columbia. You know, I'm, I'm working here, and I just feel like, you know, still to this day, you know, I still get fans saying, oh, that's TJ Gurley. Oh, man, I remember this. I remember that. Oh, man, I, I miss you out there. I wish you were still out there. So, you know, just coming to Carolina and just, you know, making a connection with the fans, you know, that, that was and, – and just seeing how the fans just – just open their arms up to the player, man. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. So, and, before... and, and also, and also, just you know, just the relationships I made on and off the field, for us in the classroom, and also my with my teammates, and and also my coaches, man. You know, like Coach Brown. You know, that's 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 one of the guys I really looked it up looked it up to for for his coaches. You know, he was a great coach, man. He was a great mentor. You know, he talked talk to me a lot about life, you know, after sports, and also Coach Lorenzo Ward, you know, and also Coach Addie Williams. You know, all of those all of those coaches, you know, just, just having a relationship with those coaches and, you know, and having a relationship with the players to this day, like Rico Matt Williams, um, Jasper Sasser, Jordan Diggs, um, Shaq Wilson, um, DJ Swerger, Bruce Ellington, Ronnie Martin. You know, all those guys, you know, just, you know, just having great relationships with them and, you know, us just staying in contact and communicating, you know, it was, it was, 
it's just unbelievable, you know, how you come to college and, you know, your teammates, you know, become some of your best friends and also just meet people in the classroom, you know, for us networking and, you know, just for us having friends off the field, you know, it was, it, it was just a total package. You know, I, I still tell myself, you know, that I'm glad God, you know, laid on my heart to come to Carolina. I couldn't have chose the better university, you know, it's, you know, for his education, for us, the, the fans, for us, the community, for us, my teammates, for us, the coaches, you know, it was a, it was a great four year experience. Absolutely. So before I let you go, TJ, obviously you've mentioned a bunch on this show. You play with a, a bunch of different guys, again, who are Gamecock legends, who South Carolina fans remember the first, you know, first thing when you mentioned their names, Davion Clowney, Devin Taylor, Devontae Holloman, DJ Swerger, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, there were memorable defensive plays while you were at Carolina as well. Obviously, what you did on the field, but I think of, you know, the hit, Jadavion Clowney against Michigan. Obviously, you were there for that. Think of DJ Swearinger's hit against Clemson, tons of others. Um, my question is this, though. Uh, give us your funniest, because, again, you guys were sort of the goon squad, if you will, that defense, all those guys. Give us your – um, you know, funniest story, I guess, if you will, from the uh, from the defensive side of the locker room. Because I know, like you mentioned, you had Jadavion Clowney, who was a who was a real jokester, and there were some other guys in that defense that I know had big personalities as well. Um, do you have any funny stories from your time playing on that defense, or maybe some funny stories from the, uh, the again the defensive locker room? Um, um, the the the. One of the funniest stories I have um, that that happened to me was when I was starting against Missouri, um, Shaq Wilson, DJ Swerger, Victor Hampton, and and a couple more of the guys. They, I wasn't in the locker room yet. They taped my helmet up like four or five layers of tape, you know, all around my helmet. And when I came into the locker room, I was getting ready, you know, getting ready for practice, and everybody going out to the practice field and I was looking for my helmet and for some reason it wind up back in my locker and when I went back to my locker it was duck, you know it had tape all over the helmet like four or five layers of tape and so I'm looking at my helmet like what, what's going on and so I'm unwrapping the tape and then I figure out oh man it's another layer so I'm I'm running late for practice and this the week that I'm supposed to be starring against Missouri and then when I get out there to practice and I'm I get the tape finally off. Coach is like, hey, why, you know, why, why are you running late? You're supposed to have been out here for pre-practice, you know, you know, throwing the ball around, you know, before practice starts. And <laughs> the players come over and like, hey, <laughs> did you find your helmet? And I'm like, man, you know, like, you know, why y'all did that? You know, like y'all take my helmet up knowing that I'm supposed to be starting this week. But it was, you know, it was a joke. You know, they was just, you know, messing around with me. But I think the funniest guy on that, you know, the funniest guy on the team, my four years there was Victor Hampton. Um, I, I think Victor Hampton, you know, he was, you know, any anybody that came to Carolina, if they knew Victor, would want to play with Victor. You know, he was just a he was just a funny guy. He was just, you know, a great guy, humble guy. You know, <clears throat> on the field, you know, he's going to talk trash, but towards us, he's going to be funny and you know, bring that competitive nature out of you. But off the field, you know, he's going to be you know, one of the most humblest guys, you know, a guy that, you know, you may want to go out to eat with and, you know, hang out with sometimes. And, you know, he 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 just was a he he was a great guy on and off the field, you know. That and him and him and DJ Swerger, those two guys, I would say if if 
if any if anybody knew them and came to Carolina, they would you know they would want to play with those guys. No doubt. Well, and, and also and also and also Mike Davis. Mike Davis. That was my roommate. Me and Mike Davis were roommates freshman and sophomore year, and you know he was just one of the most funniest guys. <laughs> you know he always he always was the life of the you know life of the team and you know joked around and and got everybody you know made everybody laugh and just was a fun person to be around you know so no my, doubt my days at carolina you know i miss them but you know it's life after sports but you know carolina i'm, I'm happy i i was a game cop and still is a game cop to this day you know, I may not be playing, but uh, game cop still lie in my heart, and you know, I'm still a game cop to this day. For sure, yeah, I think I can definitely speak for South Carolina fans when I say, you know, we uh, we certainly do appreciate what you did for uh, you know, for South Carolina and your time wearing garnet and black, and obviously glad to hear you're doing well uh, after football. And like you said, always always a gamecock forever to thee, of course. So, TJ, appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, let's do it again sometime for sure. Would love to have you back on. All right, all right. Thank you, Dad. Thank y'all for having me. Absolutely. So for TJ Gurley, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.